Welcome to Access Control, a podcast providing practical security advice for startups, advice from people who've been there. Each episode, we'll interview a leader in their field and learn best practices and practical tips for securing your org. Lucas is an engineering manager for the cloud engineering team at Product Board. Product Board was founded in 2014 and is a product management system that lets organizations get the right products to market faster. Lucas has been at the company two years and has helped keep systems stable as Product Board has entered hypergrowth. Today, we'll dive into how to plan, build, and execute a platform team to help support a growing organization while keeping your systems as secure as possible. Lucas, thanks for joining today. Happy to be here. So to start, can you tell me a little bit about what Product Board is? As you said, Product Board is a, is a tool. It's a, it's a product management platform that helps get the right product to market faster by understanding what, uh, what your customers need and uh, prioritizing off of that, basically. And uh, you can also align everyone within your organization around a roadmap, basically built off of those features that are requested by your customers. So basically, it, it provides you with, a, with a one sort of tool where you can aggregate feedback from all the different sort of sources, prioritize what's important, and uh, create a roadmap basically off of those priorities. That's pretty much it. And is it targeted for startups or enterprises or mid-sized companies? All of the above, really. Uh, basically, uh, we have sort of different uh, plans, some targeted at startups uh, all the way up to basically enterprise-level customers. And it's offered as a software as a service? Yes, it's, it's software as a service. Yes, that's correct. And so I think today we'll dive into sort of your platform team. You know, you're obviously in charge of running software as a service platform for product board i'm part of the uh cloud engineering team uh, which is in turn part of uh, a platform tribe so a tribe sort of is an overreaching uh, i guess uh, organizational unit uh, where all the misfits go to uh, basically all the misfit teams uh, that uh, aren't part of or don't directly impact the product uh, they don't work directly on the product, but we sort of are, our customers are our engineers, uh, so to speak. Yeah, your internal teams. Yes, that's right. The company has been around for about eight years. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the engineering before and um, during your time there? So I can't speak too much uh, on the before, uh, but uh, basically from, from uh, what I've been told, the company grew at a slow and steady pace from 2014 all the way to like 2016, 17, where the growth really started to kick off. So basically, I joined in in a very, very good time and halfway through 2020. So I've been with Product Board uh, for, for two years. That was after our Series B, where we basically started the, the hyper growth phase or entered the hyper growth phase. It started Shortly before that, then COVID came and everybody sort of uh, froze in their, in their tracks and, and then it sort of uh, kicked off again. To give it some context, I think my, my employee number is uh, 220 something. So at the time I, I joined, there were like 150 people in the company. At this point, there's more than 500 of us. Basically, our engineering grew in proportion to the rest of the company. I'm guessing that a tool like Product Board really probably helps as people have gone from work from home during COVID to sort of organize and help keep companies and organizations sort of on a clear trajectory regarding their roadmap. Yes, 
actually, as you as you rightly pointed out, COVID and uh, working from home didn't really have a bad impact on our business. Um, maybe slightly the the other way. Not obviously the likes of Zoom and others, but it didn't impact uh, our business uh, too harshly. So as part of scale, it's mostly around just keeping uptime and availability. It's sort of one of the most important parts of your company. Yes. Also, uh, with how our engineering grew, our engineering organization, uh, we're basically maintaining our, our own uh, CI. We we run our own CI uh, on premise, so to speak, in in, in the cloud, obviously, but uh, but we run it ourselves. This also becomes a, a problem at scale at some point when your repositories get really big. Your your uh, automated test suits uh, start, you know, using more and more resources, basically, and so on and so forth. So the scale problem uh, is like um, manifold. It's kind of keeping people's developer velocity going. I guess as more you have more engineers join, more tests, more PRs, there's more tests running, so you need to keep everything churning along quickly. That's correct. Yes. Also, uh, one of the fairly uh, recent changes uh, to our organization was uh, basically, I think it was around a year ago when we decided that we want to create some engineering presence in, in North America. Up to that point, Prodbo had engineers in Europe predominantly, but we already had an office uh, in Vancouver, uh, mostly people uh, from customer success and sales. And uh, we decided that it would be a good idea to basically have some engineering presence in Vancouver as well. This obviously created a whole lot of different problems because suddenly there's a nine hour time difference between uh, the Czech Republic, where most of our engineers are, and uh, the Pacific coast. Also, you have to uh, invest into knowledge sharing, uh, which is something I, will, I think we'll, we'll get, get to later uh, down the line. But uh, yeah, that was one of the scale problems as well. And are you in Canada or are you in the Czech Republic? <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, I'm Czech. I was born in Prague, but uh, I've been in Canada for the past uh, couple of months. Okay, so you got to see a bit of both offices, I guess, in different cultures. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Back in March, I think on your engineering blog, you mentioned that the infrastructure team was responsible for migrating off a managed Kubernetes installation to EKS as sort of part of your I guess, developer philosophy. Can you tell me a few reasons why you made this migration? Well, if you go and read the blog, there is this uh, little section uh, titled The Outage, which is exactly what uh, you'd think it is. Maybe a little bit of a backstory. Uh, we originally, uh, it was long before my time, uh, a product board ran off of uh, Heroku, uh, a platform as a service. And uh, at some point, it was no longer fitting our needs uh, very well. So it was decided that we would migrate to Kubernetes. And uh, back in the day, I think um, EKS was uh, still, it was in its infancy, I guess. It only uh, was recently released to, to the public, it was decided that we would go with with COPS. COPS is a self-managed solution for, for running uh, Kubernetes. It uh, ran fairly smoothly for a long time, but along the way, we sort of lost some of our colleagues uh, who uh, were part of the uh, original team that set up uh, our uh, COPS deployment. At some point, we were left with basically your your platform that you don't really want to touch uh, because uh, you don't really exactly know how it works. As such, we are already planning to migrate to EKS in the future because it seemed uh, a logical choice because all of the problems that we 
we we've had with with EKS were no longer there. It was running a new version of Kubernetes. It was well stable and so on and so forth. We experienced uh, this this outage uh, in in September uh, 2021. We had a downtime of approximately five hours across the whole production. And I think that was uh, that was the last uh, last straw that uh, broke the camel's back, I guess. And uh, we decided to fast track our transition to uh, to EKS. Yeah, and sort of as a team, what's your thoughts on the building itself? We buy the solution. Like, how do you found the difference between a managed Kubernetes service and KOps? I think Kubernetes is hard enough, so uh, you don't have to feel, I guess, inferior when you decide not to uh, not to manage it yourself. I think a lot of the complexity comes elsewhere. Uh, it comes with scaling it uh, well, you know, it comes with uh, how do you uh, deploy your resources and so on and so forth. And those are things that I think have a direct impact on your experience, on your stability, on developer experience. And they don't necessarily have anything to do with whether you manage your master, uh, your control plane yourself or not. From our perspective, it was it was logical and, uh, and I would uh, dare say a correct decision to move to to a managed Kubernetes platform. And there's still obviously a lot of day-to-day support that you need to do to make sure that it fits well within your organization. I, I think you mentioned you have your own CI, CD. Can you just touch a little bit about how you deploy a product board? Our applications are deployed using Argo CD. Our, we're currently undergoing a migration from uh, basically self-hosted GitLab runners to self-hosted GitHub Actions. But the principle is, is still the same, basically. So uh, we're running different classes of runners, which uh, spin up according to, to our needs. Basically, it's it's all webhook-based, basically. So a pull request comes, but a runner of the predefined instance or pod size is spun up, basically executes the job, returns the output. That's pretty much it. So as you sort of go into more managed solutions, your team is available to work on like more higher level problems. Can you talk about how the platform team has really helped increase the output performance of sort of your end engineers at Product Board? The fact that uh, we got rid of COPS, we're using, we're using Terraform to manage our cloud resources. COPS uh, generates Terraform code for you as well to create uh, basically cloud resources like um, security groups, uh, networking, and so on and so forth. So we're up to that point, we kept it in a, in a separate repository. So since uh, we no longer use COPS, we're able to merge it. Sometime further down the line, we added our uh, basically a permissions management into a single repository. So not, right now we have a, only one a repository where all of our Terraform code pretty much uh, resides, which has improved the flow, really. It's only uh, one place you have to look, approve pull requests, do PR reviews and so on and so forth. So that's one thing. Since uh, our cloud team is fairly small, currently we're, there's four of us, soon to be five. And we have around 100 engineers in in product board, so we're really big on basically developer enablement, uh, uh, on enabling our devs to do as much themselves as they can. Someone wants to create a new microservice, and that they would submit a ticket to us saying, "Hey, 
we need this uh, RDS database or this Aurora database created, and uh, we need to have it, this access and so on and so forth. Basically, here's uh, your Terraform repository. Uh, this is the module you're supposed to use. Here's an example. Do it, submit a PR. Uh, we'll have a look at it. If it all checks out, we'll just approve it, and, and that's it. I think that's one of the things that improved. Also, since we were the ones who uh, built the solution, we were able to focus on, uh, I guess, uh, disaster recovery. <laughs> Naturally, coming off a, uh, a an outage like that, uh, we we invested pretty heavily into into that. So uh, at this point, we know pretty well how things work, and uh, we're able to focus on uh, improving our time to recovery. Basically, at this point. Uh, our entire Kubernetes cluster is very well documented. It's defined almost like 100%, I would say like 98% in code. There are very few manual steps. So uh, getting from nothing to a uh, working Kubernetes cluster where you're able to deploy applications to, this time has improved uh, drastically. And probably, I guess, EKS probably helps support that too, as long as you have the right resources. It's easier not to worry about the underlying management plane, other nodes. Yes, that's correct. You don't have to worry about doing cluster rollouts uh, and so on and so forth. There are some uh, gotchas uh, that uh, you learn along the way, but other than that, it's loads better uh, in terms of uh, experience managing it. Can you give an example gotcha? Basically, EKS uh, comes with... Uh, sort of two modes, you can have uh, self-managed nodes or managed nodes. The, the difference is fairly subtle, but uh, we're using managed nodes. That means that you uh, are allowed to use only Amazon Linux and, uh, and there are a handful of other sort of uh, requirements. You, you can uh, give them uh, an instance profile that the, the node assumes, but it's all a bit finicky. Also, quite honestly, the, the official Terraform module isn't the best. So uh, we really had to learn our way the, the hard way, I guess. Yeah, I can imagine. It can be sometimes hard to know the different machine types and what's supported, and especially like which region too, they can be different as well. And I think one thing you mentioned is that you, you uh, moved to a monorepo setup. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about why a monorepo and how that's helped your team? Well, it's a monorepo in terms of uh, the infrastructure only, really. Basically, in the past, we had three repositories, one basically where all the KOPS or COPS stuff was, one where uh, everything else uh, Terraform-related was, and uh, we used a tool called uh, IAMI for our IAM management. Basically, along the way, we felt it's only natural to sort of merge these into, into one because our Terraform, um, I guess, platform is, is fairly robust. We're using uh, Terragram, we're using uh, Atlantis, which is a tool that basically allows you to run Terraform from your uh, from your GitHub pull request, I guess, uh, window, which is fairly handy because it removes the need to create, uh, to submit multiple pull requests when your Terraform run fails and so on and so forth. Basically, since we had this fairly robust ecosystem built on top of our Terraform repository, it felt only natural to sort of merge it all in one. Yeah, and I think uh, as far as consolidation goes, I think another thing that you mentioned in your blog post was after the sort of main lead had left the company, that institutional knowledge had been left. In a similar way in which you've created the monorepo, how do you think about storing institutional knowledge now within the team? 
really good question. So I think we sort of matured uh, in this in this regard over the years, and I think it starts all the way uh, at the planning level. Maybe to give some context, our platform tribe, uh, we do our quarterly planning basically uh, shifted by one month behind our product teams so that we're able to react to their needs better. Uh, so basically our Q1 starts not, uh, not in January, but in February and so on and so forth. These uh, basically are building blocks for our, uh, I guess, quarterly planning uh, objectives, which are fairly well defined. Uh, they're agreed upon across uh, the whole platform tribe. They always have a, a, a DRI, a directly responsible individual, who's uh, not expected to be the one necessarily delivering the entirety of the objective, but uh, he's the person in charge of uh, of the groomings, of knowing uh, where do we move next, if we're stuck, how are we going to circumnavigate uh, our problems, and, and so on and so forth. And this DRI is different for different objectives, so it prevents uh, knowledge silos. I think with uh, our team becoming more senior, uh, more mature, this has uh, had a very positive impact on uh, knowledge sharing. Also, these days we started to run game days, which is uh, this uh, tiny little D&D simulation where someone is the the game master who comes up with a scenario. It's usually some, some kind of problem that we have to solve. There are pre-selected roles, which um, I think facilitates a real-life uh, response to to an emergency. Are they like a couple of hours, half day? How do you sort of structure them? A couple of hours. Uh, we try to keep it within within like reasonable bounds. You introduce the problem, uh, roles are assigned, uh, then the the actual problem solving happens. You time box it because if you're not able to solve it within the predefined amount of time, you, people are obviously lacking uh, the knowledge and the resources, and there's no real point in continuing any further. That's the general plan. And then there's always some retrospective, basically saying, hey, uh, these are the lessons learned. Can you give an example topic for a recent game day? Uh, we are uh, running uh, HashiCorp's vault for uh, storing our secrets application secrets for the most part. And uh, we simulated uh, our Vault cluster outage. We found out that uh, while our uh, documentation is pretty, it's pretty good. One thing that we're lacking is uh, you have these different, I guess, recovery scenarios. Basically, your raft cluster quorum failed or you lost your key AMS key, so your Vault cluster cannot unseal itself. One thing that we were missing is basically symptoms, like these key symptoms that can help you easily when you're under stress, differentiate between, uh, I guess, different different problems, saying, hey, this is certainly this case and I don't have to worry about any of the others. So uh, maybe that's one of um, the lessons learned from, from the last time and we added it to our documentation. And I guess this is almost like a stage prior to like a run book. I guess it's like if you know, get woken up at three in the morning, you see this outage, check for these things first, because it may not be this one thing you're trying to fix. That's correct. Yes, exactly. And then what do you do in regards as documentation? Do you have a, like a wiki or like run books or do you have it in GitHub? Like, how do you think about organizing and structuring that? It started off in GitHub. 
it didn't really work out. So later we transitioned into InfraDocs, uh, basically MKDocs uh, built off of a GitHub repository. And these days, our entire organization is uh, transitioning to uh, Backstage, which is a tool from Spotify, I believe. What we're basically building is a developer portal, basically a single source of truth uh, where you have various integrations. And um, that's where we moved uh, our, our documentation as well. For a very long time, we were in this this sort of hellish state, where some things were in Notion, which uh, is something hated with passion by all engineers, but it was there for some reasons. Some things uh, were in, in, in MKDocs and in, in GitHub and so on and so forth. I think at this point, I can say with, with clear conscience that everything is in backstage uh, in one place. Nice. I'll definitely have to check it out. I'll add it in um, the show notes. Just to close out this story is the people leave and you also lose the institutional knowledge. It also comes up with another problem with hyper growth companies is you're bringing on lots of new engineers, but you're also offboarding them. And often they have access to secrets, API keys, maybe like SSH keys on production hosts. There's all this onboarding procedure, but there's also offboarding. What do you do to sort of clear up these um, secrets or credentials from previously employed people? While our churn has been very, very low in terms of uh, employees, uh, we obviously have to have to deal with these things as well. Um, and I think our setup is, is, is pretty good. We're using Okta as our main um, auth provider, our main SSO. All of our resources are uh, behind a VPN, which you can get through using your Okta uh, sign-in. So that covers uh, most things. We're using Vault to uh, store application tokens uh, and all these uh, sensitive information. So the amount of, I, I would say, like directly shared uh, passwords and, and SSH keys is virtually none. There are some like shared password vaults, but it's uh, mostly very, very low impact stuff that either wouldn't work without a VPN or uh, it's just, you know, totally safe uh, stuff. We don't really do SSH anywhere, so that's uh, that's a big help. We don't have to worry about it. In terms of all the other software uh, that we use, uh, software as a service, you know, Datadog and so on and so forth, basically places that you can get to without a VPN, it's, it's mostly Okta. Our IT team has this tool, which is called Tori, and uh, it basically tracks all the online accounts that we have in our, in our company, which people have access where. Once uh, someone leaves, there is a, a person responsible for these, for, for, for different accounts. And they get notified uh, saying, hey, we need you to remove this person from, from this, this account, say, Datadog. Just like a, sometimes there's a manual cleanup, yeah, of accounts. Yes, yes. But it's only like a, it's usually like one or two, two items per person that you have to clean up yourself manually. Other than that, it's, it's mostly SSO. So it's manageable. It's fairly well manageable. And, you know, this is a unique thing since access control is run by Teleport. You guys also in the position of being a recent Teleport customer. What was the reasons of picking Teleport um, for accessing your infrastructure? So basically, as our engineering grew, and since we work with customer data, and it's it's uh, for us, it's a paramount uh, priority to protect it and uh, prevent any possible leaks and so on and so forth. 
everyone who has access to production is obviously under NDA and uh, has uh, has gone through a background check, so on and so forth. But uh, we felt that it's necessary to add another layer to have a proper audit possibility and preferably a session recording for uh, basically anyone who would access uh, our production environment manually without a second pair of eyes, so to speak, because most of our changes are done through automated steps through CI, through pull requests, which are approved naturally and so on and so forth. But there are use cases. It can either be uh, responding to an emergency or hot fixing something uh, which are rare, but where in IT they do happen. So for those reasons, uh, as the number of our of our engineers grew, we felt it's really important to have a tool like Teleport in place to basically improve our security. And you're using this primarily for basically Kubernetes access for short-lived kubeconfigs? That's correct, for, for Kubernetes access and uh, for, for database access as well. You know, once you have like Teleport can help with your mapping of users. How do you think about like the internal mapping of Kubernetes internal users? Do you define different roles and users or I'm assuming everyone on your team is sort of a almost like a system masters level user or do you sort of splice and dice roles in a much finer level of layer? Since uh, basically anyone who has access to production uh, has a business justification for it. We don't have to do uh, that fine of a differentiation between our engineers. There are people who have like read-only access, so that's that's one group. There are people who have very very privileged access, usually administrators. Then there's everyone in between who has basically read-write access, and that's pretty much it in our in our use case. And so I think you sort of touched on this a bit. You know, a lot of all of these sort of auditing tools are always important for certain compliance regimes like uh, SOC 2, I think Product Board was certified in 2020. Can you tell me about how things have changed, you know, in the last two years and sort of how your team stays in compliance? How things changed, uh, basically we're continuously responding to to the feedback from the reviewers of our SOC 2 compliance and we're mm, gradually implementing changes along the way. And it, it sort of forces you to because... Uh, Imagine you're supposed to rotate your uh, your SSH keys every every three months, and then you realize you don't really have to do do SSH anymore. So you just get rid of it, and it's one less thing to worry about. In terms of how the process works, uh, we we do uh, our internal quarterly reviews in a collaboration with our other engineering teams, and especially with our security team, where we basically provide the, the required information in terms of capacity planning, in terms of how our infrastructure changed, and so on and so forth. We use tools like um, AWS Security Hub. We run on we run on uh, on AWS. That's I guess worth mentioning. Guard duty, uh, lace work. We scan our our images uh, before they're, they're uploaded to ECR. And obviously the, the the processes that we talked about earlier, like the, those game days, uh, basically BCDR uh, exercises and documentation, so and so forth. So all of these, I guess, help us. Uh, stay stay secure and and i guess improve yeah the controls for um aws specifically do you do anything for iam roles to monitor p 
people accessing the AWS Management Console? There are very, very few people uh, who access uh, the AWS console properly, but we use uh, AWS to authenticate our users through IAM to, to Kubernetes. That's, I guess, uh, that's fairly standard with EKS. And uh, we do have uh, monitoring. Uh, we have uh, obviously uh, monitoring on our uh, root accounts, which should almost never be used unless you're dealing with billing and so on and so forth. But basically, they should never be used for operational purpose. We are currently uh, also onboarding uh, to use Teleport for uh, AWS console access, AWS CLI for the most part. I think that's it. All of our roles are, are managed in our uh, Terraform code. Yeah, I guess having infrastructure as code for IAM really helps because you test it, lint it, not have to worry about someone creating one in the UI and giving a star star to the wrong database, which could easily happen. Exactly. Basically, nobody in the in the whole organization has permissions to do this directly without a second pair of eyes. So basically, there's no way to circumnavigate uh, the, the restrictions in place. And, you know, with all of this in place, you have like good visibility, I guess, into what's possibly happening, if there's any possible security issues. If there is any security issues, what sort of things sort of keep you up at night and how do you plan on resolving them? I don't think that there is anything serious keeping us at night. Uh, out of those things that we're aware of, we're actively trying to resolve them. And I, it's probably not really a good idea to disclose them publicly. Maybe uh, one of the security issues that we're facing right now is, uh, is I guess, uh, making the experience as smooth as possible because I think part of the uh, journey of adopting teleport into your engineers' lives, because uh, I think for for infra people it's something um, yeah, just another tool, and we're fairly used to it, and it's 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 easily uh, digestible. I guess it may not be like that for everyone. So uh, one thing that we're working on is um, providing a layer of abstraction on top of uh, our current tooling, uh, on top of teleport, on top of Vault which is something that we call a PBCTL or PBCuddle that would be a CLI abstraction on top of all these tools. So suppose you're, you're a backend engineer and you, wanna, uh, you want to check some database. So at this point, you have to be well aware of uh, what environment the database runs in, whether it's, uh, it's production, and that means you have, to use, uh, you have to use Teleport to get there, or if it's in... Uh, in staging, that means you have to go through vaults, through vault um, ephemeral access, and it's it's all a bit much. So I think uh, one of the ways to to improve the adoption and to uh, make everyone's lives easier is to build some some uh, clear guidance and and some abstraction on top of it. Yeah, it's really not getting in the way of developers' productivity if they can just use the terminal for their tooling. They much prefer that to having to dive into an Okta SSO page to get to your various tools. Exactly. And then as a platform team, can you tell me how you work with the other developers and organizations? I think that was a great example um, of the internal tool you're building. And you sort of mentioned you built it one month out. What are some other initiatives that have been successful? I think working with uh, Kubernetes resources is something that's notoriously difficult for uh, people who don't uh, have sufficient knowledge, I would say. This came originally as a request from our own engineers saying, hey, basically we need uh, we need your help working with, with Helm, uh, Helm charts, you know. And we thought, hey, this is a really good point. So let's uh, set up some clear guidance 
some, uh, I guess, uh, blueprints uh, for uh, our two major platforms, which are uh, Kotlin services and Ruby services and uh, plan how can we improve this in the future. The holy grail uh, would be to have everything uh, in backstage where basically uh, since it's a developer portal, a developer would come and create all the necessary infrastructure for their service from there, much like a lightweight Heroku or any other platform as a service. So basically building a platform for our own developers. I think in the future, that's, that's what's in store for us, something that we're, we're actively working on. As you kind of grow, your engineering team will keep on expanding. You just want to build tools that you can sort of really empower them to get their job done. That's the platform for hypergrowth. Exactly. As we wrap things up here, um, what would be your advice for teams considering developing a platform team to do the same thing as yourself as product board? I reckon at some point you can you can spot the signs, you know, where there are huge bottlenecks, where knowledge is is pooled uh, in very small circles, and I think that's the right time to sort of start thinking about whether there is some space to create a platform team or tribe or whatever that would basically work for, for the company itself, not necessarily create any value themselves, but uh, in turn empower. For us, this mark came around, I guess, like 50 engineers. That's where I think it starts to uh, really become a, a, a need. Yeah, definitely. Ever I worked, CICD always breaks like 20, 50, 100 people. You have to like rebuild it. Same with deployment pipelines. Everything, I guess, gets more advanced. Do you have any tips for sort of when to optimize for different stages? Actually, I think uh, the idea of platform came way back when only it was only one team. It was called front-end platform. And uh, since product board uh, is fairly front-end heavy, we came up with this idea of sharing resources across all, all the front-end teams. I'm not a front-end developer myself, so take it with a grain of salt, but basically there, there were you know, libraries to be shared and basically uh, some sort of predefined components that uh, it was a good idea to basically just maintain a, a, by a dedicated team in a single repository, in a single space. I think since this, uh, this approach was very successful, I think that's what sort of sparked the the idea of of creating a, a platform tribe that would encompass uh, this whole philosophy. So uh, right now, not only we have uh, something resembling a front end platform, we have a, a dedicated developer experience team, and so on and so forth. In terms of when to stop optimizing, that was your question, wasn't it? Oh, I guess it's like, do you want to like early optimize? Like I guess at different stages, there's like different problems to solve for. Maybe I actually don't know what my closing question is. Yeah, does anyone ever uh, preemptively optimize? I think that's actually, I think it's a pitfall. You should look into the future, but not somewhere where you're not even heading, I guess. It is good to have a, a pretty clear outlook two to four quarters ahead of uh, where you want to be. That's uh, typically how our um, planning goes. We try to uh, plan for the next uh, three to four quarters in advance. I think it's actually not about being certain that this will happen in Q4 2023, because you obviously have no idea what's going to happen. But I think in terms of knowing what resources in terms of uh, team staffing and uh, basically where you want to go, I think that's, that's uh, pretty advantageous. 
I think that's a great way to wrap it up. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's great how everything is also very self-service and I guess in many ways you kind of get out of the way of the developers. And so it's almost like you're not even there, but they almost have the platform superpower to sort of keep on growing in the organization. So um, thanks, Lucas. Do you have any last closing thoughts? Yeah, I think it's, it's a very uh, typical thought that... Uh... You know you're doing your job right uh, as an infra engineer when basically nobody needs you ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. I think it's a great way to end. This podcast is brought to you by Teleport. Teleport is the easiest, most secure way to access all your infrastructure. The open source Teleport access plane consolidates connectivity, authentication, authorization, and auditing into a single platform. By consolidating all aspects of infrastructure access, Teleport reduces attack surface area, cuts operational overhead, easily enforces compliance, and improves engineering productivity. Learn more at goteleport.com or find us on GitHub. github.com slash gravitational forward slash teleport.